I am excited about this particular series. Um, I'm excited because it's something that's kind of been a, a, a revelation in my life over my lifetime. When I was a young guy uh, growing up in Mississippi, um, as a high school student, maybe even first couple of years of college when I was back home in the summer, I, uh, I, I remember hearing and getting to meet this uh, really charismatic guy from Yazoo City, Mississippi. Uh, he lived in Dallas at that time, and he was speaking all over the country. And um, he, he had written several books. In fact, in his lifetime, he wrote 30 books. But his first book was called See You at the Top. And he had the most intriguing name. His name was Zig Ziglar. And I always thought, who names their kid that, all right? I mean, who names you? And then I found out his mama didn't do that to him. He just didn't like his real first name. So he nicknamed himself Zig, all right? And so Zig Ziglar was speaking at this place and a businessman's thing, my, and kind of, I don't know, maybe it was the Optimist Club or somewhere. I, I don't really remember. I, I just remember being with a group of high school students and this guy coming from Texas and telling us he was from Yazoo City. And we, I'm from Jackson, man. Jackson's the big town. Yazoo City is the country, all right? And so we're just like, you, you did all right if you got out of there, man. You, you did good. And I remember one thing he said. It just has been with me my, really ever since. It was this. He looked at a group of young adults and he said, it is your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude in life. Now, when you're 18 years old and you're thinking about your future, you're like, man, I, I want to do as much as I can. I want to accomplish as much as I can accomplish. And, and so I'm, I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, aptitude? What, what does he mean, aptitude? It, it's your attitude, not your aptitude. So then I started looking up the word aptitude, and here's what it means. For those of you who are like 18, 19, 20, 40, whatever it is, right? So the, the whole deal is this. Aptitude is the combination of your skills, your abilities, your training, all of that. And what this guy was saying to us was that it is your attitude about life. It's your attitude about people. It's your attitude about everything that will determine how far you go in life. It's not your skill set. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to have more talent than the person next to you. If you have a better attitude, you will actually accomplish more than you would with all of the skill set, all of the aptitude. It's your attitude that determines your, that rather than your aptitude, that determines your altitude in life. And so for years since then, I've been just, that, that phrase has just always gone through my mind. And, and I was looking at this year. It's, it's, it's November this week, y'all. And, and Thanksgiving's coming. And I know Thanksgiving is a national holiday. It's not a Christian holiday. I know that there's all kinds of revisionist history about what did and didn't happen when the pilgrims got here and who they oppressed and who they didn't oppress. And, and I, I, I get all of that. I've read multiple stories. And, and here's, here's what I'm telling you. You get to the point where you don't, you don't even, I was listening to some college students yesterday. They actually made this statement. So those of you who are college students, maybe you feel like this too. The statement was this. Well, they could have Photoshopped that. that. You, 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 you could make that look, I mean, and one, one guy says, if it's not on the internet, I'm not sure I trust it. Hello. We've reversed it, for those of us who are older. We used to say, if it's on the internet, we don't trust it, all right? And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking and I'm, and I'm listening and, and I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. 
And I'm thinking about what Zig said. And I'm, and I'm thinking about, you know what? There really, there really has to be something more. And I, and, and I started thinking about how grateful I am for the people in my life. How grateful I am for the heritage that I have of faith. How grateful I am for the opportunity that, that God's given me, and some of you are going to laugh at this, to spend my life in central Indiana. I mean, y'all don't all talk right, but you're nice folks, okay? <laughs> and and, and to, to spend most of my adult life in this city, pastoring this church, has been one of the greatest honors of my life and continues to be. And I begin to think about what, what am I grateful for? And I remembered Zig, and I thought, you know what? And I looked at the word gratitude, and I realized, you can't spell gratitude without attitude. You can't do it. There's just one little difference. I mean, I, I, I go ahead and we meant it. See, our attitude actually determines our gratitude. And I, and I, I think that's huge. I think it's, it's the fact that, that you can't really be grateful if you don't have the right attitude. You can't really give thanks if you don't have the right attitude. And, and as I was thinking about all that, I, I began to remember the 103rd Psalm. I memorized these first five verses we're gonna look at today as, a long time ago as a breath prayer for me. If you don't know what a breath prayer is, it, a breath prayer is a scripture that you've memorized that, that you can repeat under your breath anywhere in the world. I prayed this breath prayer in airports when it was crazy for the next flight. <laughs> I've, I've prayed this breath prayer when I'm visiting with international guests in their country and they're feeding me food I've never seen before in my life. <laughs> I've prayed this breath prayer before standing on this platform to share the gospel. I think I've prayed this breath prayer more in the last few years because of the pandemic than maybe at any other time in my life. And, and this breath prayer comes out of the, this psalm. And by the way, if, if you don't know, the 150 psalms that we have collected in the Old Testament, all, or almost all of them, were not written to be poetry. They were written to be songs. They were written for the congregation of God to sing. And there are some that are specific, that are laments. You, you lament the, the, the things that have happened in your life and you open that up to the God. But there are some, there are some like the 103rd Psalms that are general hymns and, and they, were, they were sung by the people of God coming into the tabernacle of God. And these first few verses that have become a breath prayer for me, they, I can just see them in my mind's eye, the, the people of God coming through the streets of Jerusalem and entering into the courts of the temple and, and, and singing together as the community of faith these words. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you not to sing them because nobody remembers the actual rhythms and notes that were with these songs. Oh, we've added some others over the years, but, but, but there are multiple rhythms and and notes that people have added, but the words, I'm gonna ask you to read them out loud with me this morning. And remember, maybe this could be your breath prayer too. The words will be here on the screen. Would you read them with me out loud, okay? Even if you don't think you have a nice voice, even if your voice squeaks, even if you've got a cold, 
I would like you, if you're on campus, now for those of you in the online community, if you want to say them out loud, just make sure the people around you know that you're okay, all right? If you're in an airport this morning somewhere listening to us with the headphones on, you start saying this out loud, people may get up and start walking away from you, all right? But, but if you're somewhere where you can say this out loud, join those of us on campus, okay? Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Think about that for a minute. This praise song, this, this hymn of the church, this, this gathering together where people said, together, raise their voices to say, bless the Lord, or in some translations, praise the Lord. The Hebrew means the same, to bless, to praise, to lift up, to exalt, to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, my soul, the deepest part of who I am, the, the, the deepest part. More than my mind, more, more than my emotions, more, more than my intellect, my soul, the very core of who I am. From the very core of who I am, what David is reminding us is to bless God, to praise God, to, to, to have an attitude of gratitude toward God. And when that gets hard, because David knew hard times, David knew betrayal, David, David had a, a son who, who rebelled and tried to take the kingdom from him. David had a mentor who tried to kill him. David, David committed adultery. David, David knew what it meant to feel far from God. And, and, and yet to discover that in the midst of that separation from God, in the midst of that pain, he could, he could turn to God and he could say to God, God, from deep inside of who I am, I, I remember. I remember all your benefits. See, an attitude of gratitude that creates the kind of thanksgiving that you and I were created to experience, it, it comes out of that trust in God. In fact, sometimes when I use this as a, as a breath prayer for me, I, I'll actually change those things where it says, who forgives your iniquity, and change it to say, you forgive my iniquity, don't you, God? You're the one who heals my diseases, God. You're the, you're, you're the one, God, who redeems my life, who rescues me out of the pit of everything. You, God, God, it's not just a you, it's not just a who, it, you're, a, you're a person, God. And you demonstrated to me in the life of Jesus what it means to, to be a person whose attitude creates gratitude. But, but you gotta know, these benefits that he lists, they're actually written in couplets in this hymn, which means that you can connect them a little bit. When they're written in couplets in the Hebrew, they, there's a connection between them. And so when he says, who forgives my iniquities and heals my diseases, we can have gratitude toward God. We can have an attitude of gratitude toward God 
Because God is the one who forgives us our iniquity and he's the one who heals us from the disease that's created by it. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? He heals my diseases. Well, maybe you've never had the question. I, I've had it throughout my ministry. I mean, the first time I had the question, I, I, was, I was looking into the faces of a man and a woman whose 12-year-old daughter had just died after a battle with leukemia. And the mom, was a, the mom was a believer. She was a Christ follower. The dad, the dad was in full-out rebellion. He was angry. Now, she was hurt, and she was angry, but, but she still had faith. He had never had a faith, and, and he looked at me. I was just a young preacher. And he said, how in the world can a good God let my baby die? Maybe, maybe you've never felt that. Maybe you've never had that question come up. If you haven't, I just need you to know somebody around you has. And it forced me, not just to my knees for an answer from God, but into the scriptures for an understanding of how to respond to the fact that this God that we bless, this God we're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude toward, is a God who knows about our pain, a God who knows about our hurt, but a God who also, a God who also brings us through by showing us how. And, and, and here's, here's what I understand. The God who forgives our iniquity and heals our diseases, the, the forgiving and the healing are connected. And if you go back in, in, in the Bible, if you read the book, don't just watch the movie or, or get the Netflix. Re, read the book. And if you read the book and you, and you begin to understand God's redemptive heart for humanity, you understand the reason he has a redemptive heart for humanity is because he made humanity perfect. He made humanity good. In fact, he keeps saying it over and over again, this is good. But, but he also made them with a, an opportunity to choose love or choose rebellion. And we've always been people who choose rebellion before we choose love. And that's why we have to have forgiveness. That, that, that's why we have to have healing because when we choose rebellion over love, our rebellion creates the pain. So I gathered all of that thought and looked at the man and said, I just need you to know, I don't think God took your baby. I think sin took your baby. Not your baby's sin. Not that your daughter did something that she deserved this. But we live in a world that is broken and fallen because of rebellion. And so there is dis-ease, there is illness, there is pain, there is suffering, not because God has it out for us and not because God is not big enough to understand us, but because God loves us so much, he gave humanity a choice and we keep making the wrong choice every time until we choose Jesus because that's the right choice. And when we, when we live in that kind of world, it's hard to have an attitude of gratitude when all you see is the pain, when all you see is the brokenness, which is why David, who knew the pain and knew the brokenness, who had lost a child just like this man, David, 
David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And the benefits start with the forgiveness of your sin and the healing of your brokenness. Whether you're with us on campus or online or later on demand this week, what I want you to hear, if you've never heard it before, is that the God of the Bible is a God who heals your brokenness because he's forgiven your sin. You may not have forgiven yourself. You definitely can't stop yourself from doing whatever it is you're doing in rebellion. I mean, I know you're trying. I know you're, you're talented, and I know you're smart. And I know, but listen to me. Sin is smarter than you, and Satan is more talented than you. But can I also tell you that Jesus is smarter than Satan, and Jesus is a lot more talented than he is. And Jesus says, hey, listen, if you'll let me, I'll forgive you, and I will heal you, and get this, I'll come live inside of you. That's what the scriptures mean. When the Apostle John would write later, many years later after this, centuries later, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then this attitude of gratitude results from the reality that you are connected to the God of the universe through the one who spoke you into being. And you are forgiven and you can be healed because he is the one who forgives and he is the one who heals and he's offered to come and live inside of you. Look at it again. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, not just some of it, all of it, and who heals all of your diseases. Not, not, not just some of them, but all of them. All of the results of the sin, all the results of the pain, he heals all of that. As we approach this quote-unquote Thanksgiving season, then, then we need to be people who understand that in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness and there is healing. And whatever you're carrying around with you today that doesn't let you believe that is a lie. It's the iniquity it's the brokenness. It's the disease. But, but God didn't stop there. No. See, what, what, he, what he really lets us know is that we, we can have this attitude of gratitude because, because when God forgives us and heals us, he also does this really cool thing, okay? He, he redeems us out of the pit. I, I love that phrase. And he crowns us. Now, I understand we live in the United States. We don't have a king and we don't have a queen. We don't have a royal family. And so therefore, we have sometimes very little understanding when the Bible uses these phrases. But David understood because David, when he was a boy, Saul was the king. And when he became a man, he became the king. And when he was getting ready to die, his son Solomon became the king. He understood about kings and crowns. And what he's trying to say to us in the 103rd Psalm is this. Listen, when you're forgiven and you're healed, then you've got to know that 
God is reaching down into the pit of your life, the place where you feel like you don't matter, where everybody's telling you you're worthless, you don't, you don't matter at all to God or to anybody else, and he picks you up and he redeems you. He pays a price for you. He tells you you're valuable. And when he tells you you're valuable, he then does this amazing thing. He sets you right. He picks you up out of the pit and, and he, he, says he crowns you. Now, what he's really saying is he tells you who you really are. He tells you how you were really made. He tells you what you were made for. Because when he crowns you, look, look at what, what David says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. See, it's not that he makes you some royal priest and royal king and royal so that you can lord it over people. No, 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 no. He's taking people who need to be forgiven, people who need to be healed, people who need to be rescued and redeemed out of the pit. And these people who are believing they're worthless and they have no value and they have no meaning. And he takes them and he says, no, listen, I want to crown you with steadfast love and mercy. I'm going to make you understand just how much I love you, how valuable you really are to me. And when he makes us understand how valuable we really are to him, now suddenly the, the sin is forgiven. The disease is healed. We're no longer caught up in the pit of despair and anxiety and pain. But instead, we're told that we are valuable to God. That God, God crowns us, I love this, with steadfast love and mercy. Love and mer mercy. Well, what would the world look like? Your world, where you live. Your house, your neighborhood. Your friend circle. If you understood that everybody in your friend circle, every person you know was made in the image of God, can be healed from all of their despair, rescued out of it by Jesus Christ, and crowned to be people of love and mercy, what would it look like if that's the image people had <coughs> of followers of Jesus? That we were people who loved steadfastly who demonstrated mercy instead of people who are religious and people who have rules and opinions <coughs> and politics. In about 10 days, this nation is going to go to the polls again. Some of you already been. By the way, to those of you from this congregation, whether you're online on campus, wherever you are, you're connected to Eastside and you have had the courage to serve our nation or our county or our city in any way in a political office. I want you to know I pray for you regularly. I really do. Whether I agree with your politics or not. Because you're valuable to God. Thank you for having the courage to, to, to do that. But by the way, I'll remind us again next week, but after everybody's through voting on Tuesday, on Wednesday, God is still king, and Jesus is still on the throne, 
And no matter what the economy does, no matter what the political situation is, the kingdom of God is still at hand and it's near. And it's near in the people who understand the forgiveness. It's near in the people who understand the healing. It's near in the people who understand that when you're in the pit, you're not worthless. God loved you so much he sent his one and only son to reach down into that pit to pick you up, to set your feet on solid ground. And get this, to make steadfast, long-lasting love and mercy the hallmark of your life. See, in Jesus, you will be loved. And in Jesus, you will have mercy. He will have it towards you. And as a result, you will end up extending it to other people. But if you can't get past the rules, and you get, get, can't get past the regulations, and you can't get past the religion, and if you settle for those things, as we learned in our study of Galatians, you're going to miss what it is that God wants to do in your life. Uh, one day when Jesus was teaching, the gospel writers tell us that, that Jesus was on a mountainside and there was a big crowd around him. In fact, one of them says he was actually talking to children. When this rich young man showed up, uh, one place calls him a rich young ruler. I, I like to imagine in my mind's eye that all these people are listening to Jesus and this guy shows up and when he gets out of his chariot... <laughs> When, you know, I like to think his chariot looking like a Corvette. I'm sorry, it's just a thing. Right. He gets out of it and he, and he starts walking up. And, and as he, he's one of those guys that when he shows up, everybody knows, right? Because he's handsome and all the women are like, oh. And he's got money and all the guys are like, man, I want some. And he's got talent and he's got prestige and he's got position. And so much so that when he walks up, as he's walking up, the, the, the crowd just kind of parts in front. You don't have to say anything to anybody. Have you ever seen people like that? They just kind of walk in and everybody's like, whoa. And he gets up to Jesus and he says this amazing thing. He says, good teacher, tell me what I need to do in order to have eternal life. And in my mind's eye, Jesus never even looks up. He's playing with the kids, man. I mean, the kids are it. And he just kind of looks at Hey, keep the commandments, man. I'm busy. I'm playing with the kids. And the rich young ruler very pompously says, well, hey, I've done that since I was a little kid myself. I've kept all the commandments. Now, suddenly, now think about this. What he is saying is, hey, Jesus, I'm perfect. That's what he's saying. I have no faults. You ought to be thankful I'm here. And so Jesus looks, I think Jesus kind of looks up from the kid, and in my mind's eye, from one kid to a bigger kid, <laughs> and says, really? I'll tell you what, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now every time we tell that story, a lot of us get stuck on the fact that the same thing the young man got stuck on. See, the young, the young man all he heard was, sell everything you've got. <laughs> and he's like, there is no way I'm selling everything I've got. But what Jesus was doing was basically asking him this question. Are you going to be a person who's willing to be forgiven and healed and restored, redeemed, rescued? 
so that love and mercy come out of your life? Or are you going to be a person who's always about telling other people how good you are? And, and so the scriptures tell us the young man walked away sorrowful. And, and, and as he goes away, and the crowd then later goes away, the disciples have been talking among themselves. And Peter, Peter always gets to ask the fun questions, right? Peter says, uh, <clears throat> hey, Jesus, how in the world's a rich person going to get into heaven if that guy can't get there? And Jesus says, hey, it's not really about his money. It's about his heart. It's about his heart. So you may not have all the money in the world. You may not have all the political position in the world. You may not have all of that kind of stuff. But can, can I tell you what, what you do have? You have a heart. And you have to decide. Are you willing to bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and everything that's within me to bless God, to, to serve God, to allow him to heal, to allow him to forgive, to allow him to rescue, to allow him to redeem you? to allow him to crown you with love and mercy. Because if you are, if you're willing to do that, then here's what happens for you. You end up discovering that you can have gratitude because God satisfies you and he renews you. He, he satisfies you and he renews you your heart. Now, now, some of you are listening to me and you're thinking, but what do you mean he satisfies? Like, like I, I, I never want for anything, you know, is, is that what you're saying, Pastor? No, what I'm saying is this, he teaches you contentment. The, the Apostle Paul wrote about this to the church in Philippi. Some of you who have tattoos from Philippians chapter four, where he says, I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me through Christ, who strengthens me. You need to go past your tattoo reference and keep reading the chapter. Because in the rest of the chapter, here's what he says. He says, I've learned how to be content in every and all situations. When I've got a lot, when I've got little. See, contentment is not about what you possess. Satisfaction is not about what you possess. It's about who possesses you. And, and so what what. David is saying is, look, when, when we live in this relationship where, where our gratitude is the result of our attitude of dependence upon God to heal us, to, to redeem us, to, to forgive us, to, to lift us out of the pit, to, to renew our strength, then we're satisfied. And when we're satisfied, he renews us. Look, look at it again. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, for those of you who are older, like if you're 90, your youth being renewed does not mean that you're gonna be able to do the things you did at 19, okay? In, in, in fact, a friend of mine used to make quite a joke about saying anybody who says they can do at 50 what they used to do at 20 didn't do much at 20, all right? But, uh, but the fact is, what 
what David is talking about is having your life, your youth, your, your soul renewed. Did you know there are eagles in Madison County? Do you know there are eagles in Indiana? I, I used to think all the eagles were like, you know, in the, in the Rocky Mountains. You had to go out there and, you know, see the Rockies and see the eagles. But there are eagles. In fact, environmentalists have been tracking the resurgence of eaglets. And, and here's something. There are eagles along the White River. Some of you didn't know there was anything along the White River except empty tires and stuff like that, you know. But there are eagles. There are eagles near you. And the, the imagery of an eagle in the Old Testament is, is not as much royalty as it is about beauty and strength. And, and the imagery is that, for David, is that, you know what, once I've, once I've discovered this attitude of gratitude, not only am I satisfied, am I, am I, am I trusting God with everything I've got, but, but, I'm, but I'm also... I'm also having my strength renewed. I'm having my soul revived. I'm, I'm, I'm being reconnected with God. And yeah, some of it's really mystical, but some of it is really practical. And what David is saying is, you know what? All of that attitude of gratitude is a result of a connection to God. And this morning, what I want to say to you is that connection with God comes from a connection with Jesus. So maybe you could memorize these five verses and this could become your prayer. And you might even feel the freedom to change the words a little bit, to say something like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving all my iniquities. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my brokenness, my diseases. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who rescued me out of my stuff. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who picks me up out of my stuff and makes me full of love and mercy and sets me on a solid place, crowns me with your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who satisfies all my desires. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who renews my strength so that I soar heights I've never dreamed of before. And as I got to thinking about those breath prayers and what David was praying, I, I thought, it, you know what? This would be a great day for those of us on campus and for those of you online in our online community to basically say, you know what? God, I, I really want to renew my relationship with you. And so I've asked members of our staff to join me here at the front. And one of the traditions we have as a congregation
is that on certain days like today, when we feel as if there's just a time and space in our world where the brokenness and the pain, where the pit has become almost totally unbearable, we, we can sense the presence of God restoring and renewing us. And so if you're physically able today, whether you're in the balcony or on the main floor, as we sing this beautiful song that says, all the way my Savior leads me, I'm gonna invite you to consider walking to the front where myself or one of our staff have little bottles of oil. Now you need to know there's no magic in the oil. It's not mystical in any way. Oh, it's been prayed over, but that doesn't make it have special powers. The power is in you. And the power is in God. Because all this is is just a statement to say to Jesus, you know what? I want to live my life with an attitude of gratitude so that you are in charge of everything. So just to let you know, as we sing, those of you on campus, in just a minute I'm going to ask you to stand. And, and, and if you want, from wherever you are, you make your way to the front and one of us, we're, we're just going to take a little bit of oil and we're going to put it on your forehead and we're going to anoint you in the sign of the cross. In the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's your statement as you go from this place today that you're going to let God teach you an attitude of gratitude this Thanksgiving season. And for those of you in the online community, Pastor Preston is going to be putting up in the, in, in the chat box a, a, a place for you, whether you're in the online stream from our website or whether you're on Facebook Live, there'll be a spot for you to be able to click an emoji, click a, a place there that says, you know what? I'm gonna lean into Jesus being my strength too. Because the brokenness and the pain and the weariness have just almost overcome me. But today, Jesus says that he's here for me. On campus, would you stand with us? Let's sing together. And as you feel led, you come. And we'll anoint you. All the way my Savior leads me.
you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who loves us so much that you forgive and you heal, that you rescue and redeem, that you, that you pick us up, that you satisfy us that you crown us with love and mercy and that you renew our strength. God, today I pray for, for weak knees and wobbly ankles spiritually. I, I pray for, for marriages and relationships that are in tough spots. Lord, I, I pray for, for men and women and boys and girls who've been so caught up in the rebellion that they've lost sight of the redemption you've offered. And I pray that in these next few weeks, you would begin to speak to all of us and help us to be love and mercy and grace and goodness to all the world around us, to all that we meet. May this be a season of renewal. May this be a season of rebirth in each of us and in your church and in your world. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.